Latter-day Saint Home Educators is pleased to bring you this audio presentation recorded live during the May 2023 Home Education Conference held in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. We are so excited to finally be here. We were asked in 2020, and we know how that went. Um, and just, I, I've heard about this since then, and just to be a part of it has been a real privilege. You guys are amazing. Parents, leaders, kids. I was very impressed with the youth in our previous class. Um, <clears throat> so, for the record, my name is Annette Whitlock. Oh, I'm Jonathan Whitlock. And we are here to talk about The Long Run, this book that you've been watching this whole time. Uh, subtitled, My Son's Inspired Journey Through Traumatic Brain Injury. Note the key word is inspired there. Um, that was why I wrote the book, is because I felt like, because I felt like um, there weren't enough inspired stories out there and that's how you have to stay. That's how you have to do it. You have to. Your long runs of life. Um, it's a book that I wrote in 2018, just using my journal entries, letters, emails to friends and family. So it was the easiest book to put together, the hardest book to format. But it is on Amazon, and I, it was worth it. Um, <laughs> I also have some available after that you are welcome to pick up. But more important than the book is the lessons that we want to share with you from our journey, our long run. Um, and let's just define what a long run is. It's those tough times of life. And this was a big tough time. But it doesn't even have to be big. It's whatever you feel like is your challenge or your trial. Big or small, it doesn't matter to me. What matters is it's big to you. And so your Heavenly Father, your Savior, the Spirit, that wonderful Godhead will get you through it if you allow them to. Um, so Jonathan has an uncle, Mark, that um, wrote a poem called The Long Run way before any of this, when he was a teenager. He runs, he uh, trail runs, and you're going to be listening at the very end to the song. He gave it to Jonathan and said, hey, could you put some music to it? And so at the very end, you'll hear Jonathan singing, playing all the instruments, and his Uncle Mark's words. But I thought that, um, as I thought about the long runs of life, I realized that these are things that you just don't want to go through. <laughs> they're, they're the ones that you go, please, just, just, can I get through this? Why do I have to get through this? This stinks. I don't want to do this anymore. So one of the verses of the song is very appropriate. It says, quitting has its season, but it's not in my air today. No, today's the day for keeping on and seeing it through, they say. 
It's the season of small victories and of battles fought and won. Yes, today will be filled with battles. Some are welcomed, others shunned in the long run. So, lesson number one. Let me grab my clicker here. <clears throat> that we'd like to teach you is the importance of keeping a record, a journal, poetry, um, however you express yourself. I'm so, so glad that Mark wrote those words down and shared them with Jonathan. I am so glad that I felt inspired at age 16 to start writing in my journal and keep going with it. Um, Jonathan, yeah. how long have you been keeping a journal? Since 96 or 7. 96 or 7. Can you hear him okay? Huh? One of his, let's put this up a little bit closer. One of his disabilities because of his injury is that it's hard to, for him to breathe while he's speaking. You and I can speak and not think anything of it. Yeah, no, I don't. How's that? Oh, well, doesn't, doesn't. All right, project, so I have a card up here, project and enunciate, so you'll see yes, me sir. point to that. There we go. All right, so you've been keeping a journal since you were a teenager, too. Yep. Um, and he still writes in a journal. I, I love it. He keeps it on his iPad. But one of the things how I'm so grateful that he wrote a letter to his good friend, Melissa, um, because this was a month before the car accident. And we'll get to the details about that in a minute. But... Here's what he wrote to Melissa. Can you read that? Sure. Italics? I'm not sure I can stay here long. Something creeps up on me, like an approaching waterfall on a river. It's like somehow I'm being warned with some drastic turn my life is about to take. Perhaps not drastic, just change. There's much I know. There's a task coming to serve. Polar very extreme as I feel very strongly as you stay, and also very strongly as you leave. That was very prophetic. But what a sweet, tender mercy that his Heavenly Father was preparing him for the, these poles, and he was pulled. We really, truly feel that during that coma, the, the beginning of it. We even knew this from the very beginning. He was being given, he was supposed to die according to the doctors, but he, we know he was being given a choice on the other side to live or die. If it was me, I would have said I'm out of here. But I think he knew all of the blessings that would come if he would just come back to us. Um, <clears throat> so, the long, ran, the long run for us began uh, June 13th, 1999 with that inevitable late night phone call from the hospital telling us that our son had been in a car accident. But before we get into that, let's set the stage. Um, let's talk about where we were just before. I was the mother of four children. I was 39 years old. Jonathan's my oldest. My youngest was nine. 
I was a piano teacher, a music teacher, but in May I felt inspired to stop working for some reason, teaching at the school. And I, um, oh, and I was Young Women's President. Keep that in mind because that, that comes later on as well. So Jonathan, where were you um, in 1999? I was finishing up my year, uh, my freshman year at Southern Virginia College which is where I met Kara, and yeah. Okay, and the first semester, so you ha we have to, you have to also understand that since he was about 13 years old, he had um, mental, some type of mental illness. We never diagnosed it, I don't know why, because it was pretty bad. In fact, um, this bipolar thing that was going on with him got so bad that um, you could even see it when he went off to college and was the studio arts major. This was the kind of work he was doing. It's brilliant, but it was dark. It was very dark. It got so bad for him that he asked two of his good buddies there, a return missionary and a guy going on a mission to give him a priesthood blessing and I will be forever thankful for their faith because the one that gave the blessing said that Jonathan this dark cloud will lift immediately for a short time and it, it happened just like that now, those of you who struggle with mental illness, I'm sure you wish that that was the case for you. But that was a sweet, tender mercy from Heavenly Father that Jonathan got four months without mental illness and without a traumatic brain injury to be able to just be himself. And this is what his artwork looked like. Oh, sorry, that's his friends. Um, there, That's at the... Um, the art room, that yeah. he worked night and day, he even had a key to it. <clears throat> but he made up the difference in that second semester, brought color and beauty into his paintings. All right, so, I love this picture of the family. This, so he came home mid-April, and I could see such a huge difference with him. Before he was kind of a grunge type of guy, um, a little bit of a low self-esteem, but he was so at peace with himself. There. Um, and he was preparing to go on his mission. So that's where we were. That was Easter. The accident happened in June. Second lesson, prepare now for the long runs of life. <clears throat> Let me just read to you a little bit about that my, from my journal entry that night. So we had gotten the phone call. Um, Jonathan had wrapped his car around a telephone pole. That's what it looked like. <laughs> And um, anyway, he had to be flown into the hospital. He had hit his head, not only hit his head, 
but he had suffocated on his vomit. And so he was without oxygen that way as well. So my husband went into the hospital. I stayed home. Finally he called while Jonathan was having a surgery. And this is what I wrote in my journal. 2.42 a.m. I asked Jeff if he has had a chance to give Jonathan a priesthood blessing. Not yet, but he hopes to when he's done in surgery. Should I come? It wouldn't do much good. But pray. Pray for our son. This time I kneel <clears throat> this time I kneel at my bedside and I pray vocally. As I try to, it's difficult to get the words out. I'm still feeling numb. I ask <clears throat> I ask for the Lord to guide the doctor's hands and instruments. I pray that Jonathan will have the mental and physical strength to get through this. And then the thought comes clearly to me. Part of a plan. This is all part of a plan, Annette. Later on I write, <clears throat> I begin to cry for the first time as I picture telling friends and loved ones the news. It also occurs to me that Jonathan won't be sending his mission papers in next week. Hmm. Guess I better cancel the appointments for his physical. Oh yes, and the one with the bishop on Tuesday. Oh, and what insurance do we get for him after he turns 19 on July 2nd? Wow, I realize at this point that sleep won't come anytime soon. So I decide to head downstairs and write in my journal. As I turn the lights on and turn on the computer, I see things all around me of Jonathan's. I get teary all over again. Somehow I think we won't forget Jeff's birthday when he turned 43 and got that call from the hospital. So, can you see some of the things that we were already prepared for? We had testimonies. We had the priesthood in the home. We had a testimony that the priesthood works and is powerful. We use prayer. We had scriptures, readings. We had seminary. Um, there were, we had a gospel-centered home already. I hope you're thinking of your own homes and hoping that you too have those gospel-centered homes, that you're taking the time right now to prepare because you just never know what that long run is going to be or when it's going to happen. But you're going to have to use that faith and all those things, those experiences that you've stored up to get you through it. All right, let's then continue with the story. So that was his celebration two weeks later of his 19th birthday. You might recognize the cute little blonde there. Um, <clears throat> and those were all of his high school and um, church buddies. Yeah. yeah. But a coma is not what you see in the movies or on TV, especially for Jonathan. Most people get out of it three weeks to a month, and yet still they have struggles. It took Jonathan five months. The staff was wonderful at the hospital. You think, oh wait, his eyes are open. He's out of his coma. No. Uh, his eyes may have been open, but... The lights were on, but nobody was home. The lights were on, but nobody was home. Okay. <laughs> it's a good way to put it, Jonathan. You can see kind of that spacey look in his eyes. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
it was so long that we had to keep casting his arms and legs because otherwise they were tightening and that was one thing you didn't want to have happen. They also had a vertical board that they strapped into, that's that, so that he could get some blood flowing. We tried everything. That's his brother and sister trying to have him, what are you doing? Oh, reading an art book, right? One of your art books? Yeah, that didn't work. His favorite Indian restaurant, they, the, the man there, the chef brought in this hot, spicy Indian food, put it in his mouth, didn't wake him up. It just wasn't time yet. And now I see it, but during that time, boy, that is so hard to be patient. So that was June. I'm still young women's president in August and wondering why have they not released me? I'm in the hospital every day. I'm with him. I'm his advocate. But with hindsight, I now understand why. That girls camp, girls, you know how difficult girls camp can be, right? Well, that girls camp, in our ward camp, every, all there were two girls that did not get sick. The rest of them, including my my uh, girls camp director had some kind of a bug that just spread quickly there at camp and they all had to go home. I stayed with those two girls to the end. And so you can imagine they were pretty demoralized um, by the end. But I wrote them a letter, August 7th. My dear young women, remember the scripture in which Jesus Christ talks about how he feels like a mother hen? who wants to gather her chicks close to her to comfort and protect. Well, that's about how I have felt this past week towards you all. At girls' camp, I wanted to protect you from the sickness, and now I want to comfort you. Don't you suppose that's how Heavenly Father must also feel? With all that I've recently gone through with my own sick Jonathan, I'm glad that he in his great wisdom has not, God in his great wisdom has not protected me from all the growing that I have had to do to cope with this tragedy. Yes, I wish that he could have protected John from the natural consequences of that night, but rather he chose to use this time to spiritually progress the Whitlocks and even their friends and family around them. I should say that he gave us the opportunity to spiritually progress. It has been up to each one of us whether or not we take hold of this opportunity. Can you see that each one of you who was at girls' camp has that same choice to accept or reject spiritual growth? Our choices will be shown through our thoughts, our words to each other, our attitude, and our personal prayers. So you can not only prepare ahead of time for the long run, but during the long run, those choices that you make will either bring you closer to Heavenly Father and Jesus or further away. We saw both ways but you will never ever be the same and that's the good thing when all this happened to jonathan i had a definite number of choices i could get angry i could say why did you do this lord i could withdraw from him or i could trust i could pray for strength i could grow in my relationship with the lord i can honestly say i have chosen the latter and been much happier for it so he is there for you in the long run. 
Well, three months went by, and September 13th, exactly three months later, uh, the insurance ran out for him to stay at the hospital, so he had to go to a nursing home. And I know those doctors and nurses who said goodbye to us just thought he was going to go in and stay there and be in this vegetative state. But because we had a priesthood blessing before and we knew and that prayer that I had that there was a plan to this and it was a good plan that I went, I don't think this is really what God had in mind or Jonathan, why you don't want to come back and be in a vegetative state. So that really, we clung to that. So it was helped us to be still and know that God is God. And so we could trust in his plan. We could leave it in his hands. Jonathan, yeah. 24 years after the accident, year after year after year, I know, how have you been still and not gotten frustrated? I think, what's the point, you know? Okay, what's the point? Why, why what? Why, why not get, be still? Why, yeah, why get frustrated? Why, see, okay. it's not going to change anything, so ah. I just keep pressing forward. Okay, he's got a very good point. It doesn't change anything to be frustrated. So why not take the higher road and let God, as we mentioned in our class, let God let go and let God. <clears throat> All right, continuing the story. The nursing home was probably the most difficult. That day that we transferred him was probably the most difficult day during that whole journey. Um, and just to give you an idea, bear with me as I read a little bit more uh, from my journal. September 14th. At 1.30, Jonathan was on the gurney and heading here 45 minutes away to Manor Care in New York in an ambulance while I followed in the neon. I somehow beat the ambulance here. I was greeted by two patients smoking in their wheelchairs outside the entrance. I enter and go talk to the unfamiliar staff sitting behind the nurse's desk. They point me to his room. John soon enters, having slept the whole trip. Yeah. Wish I could have. The first nurse who comes in furiously writes notes here and there as she asks questions. I was amazed at how little she knew, but then I had to remind myself that they have only had one other coma patient. So just to sum up the story, they were not prepared for him. Um, they even left behind the wheelchair. Um, the notes on feeding him was wrong. So he went, they were planning on not feeding him or uh, having him have any water, and we're talking a tube, a feed, feeding tube, for 17 hours. So I said, it didn't take long for a pattern to follow. One, something needed to be done for John's care. Two, I would ask about it. Three, let me check on that. Four, nothing, no reply, no follow-up. Five, I would either take it in my own hands and let, or let it slide. <clears throat> so this went on, and I was able to work with him. I learned how to be lovingly assertive. That's a key word, lovingly assertive. I said, do you know what it feels like to be forced to put my trust in a new home and staff and find that they're doing a lousy job? 
Don't get me wrong, they're all good, sweet, and kind people. I guess they're just a bit overworked, understaffed, and sorely ignorant. So there you have it. I'll stay until I see that I can trust this facility to take care of my son's needs. This has been such a hard two days, but through it all, I don't feel abandoned. I still trust in Heavenly Father's plan, but rather than being a place where he could perhaps get better care in his coma therapy, I think that its purpose is to force new decisions and a new direction. That became very prophetic as they took the kid gloves off, yanked out the, what was that thing called? The vent, the vent, the trach, yeah, the trach, thank you, the tracheotomy, and got to work. And they did have a rehab there, and really, truly, it was there that he woke up from his coma. In the meantime, they were so sweet. This is one of the attendants who said, well, maybe if I, maybe if I, um, play music. yeah, play my red violin, he'll wake up. I mean, they were just so, so sweet. <clears throat> so, uh, end of November, he woke up, he went to a 60-day rehab, he was 100 pounds, and he's six foot tall. He devoured everything. <laughs> It was so good to see him eating, even with a bib and sloppy and everything. Yeah. So finally in February, we went home and brought him home. And I thought, oh, good. He's home. Ha, <laughs> that, that was tough. That was difficult. And yet by this time, we learned the importance of recognizing the blessings. <clears throat> Jonathan, what are some of the blessings that you feel like has come from having a traumatic brain injury? Let me just give you an idea. His left eye here out of his left ear. He, he's no longer able to use his left hand, which was the dominant hand. Uh, his memory's very poor. So, what are the blessings? Uh, slow down. You slow down in life. Ah, you get to slow down in life. That's true. All right. You don't have to be the provider, but you don't. You don't have a wife and kids. Doesn't that stink? Well, yeah, well, that's not the point. Ah, okay. Um, that's like you, get, you change your priorities. Okay, so you've learned to change your priorities. All right. And you learn to give thanks. Ah, you learn to give thanks. Yeah. And he does. He is so, so sweet about doing that. Probably the biggest blessing out of all of this was the miracle that happened because this does not normally happen with brain injuries. His mental illness went completely away from the very beginning when he woke up. He never had that to deal with. And if you ask Jonathan, well, which would you rather have, the brain injury or the mental illness? The TBI. The TBI, yeah. It's it. So I, we really empathize with all of you who struggle with that. All right. So he at home. He had therapists come and work with him. Friends. He still had his old friends come. Still do. He had his family. Boy, that helped. They were so good. We learned to adjust. 
And by and then in April, we thought, well, let's see what he can do with painting. It wasn't much, but it was, it was something. And from there, a year after being home, he went to Success Rat Rehab, which is two hours away in Quakertown, Pennsylvania, to learn to live on his own, to get more therapy, to push him. And that's him in his room. And they gave him a, they had him take a community class, art class. And so he started painting again. <clears throat> and it has been such an incredible journey. We see the blessings. We see all of the people that have been a part of our lives because of his disability. And others have seen us and been influenced by us. And so this journey has been what I think Jonathan originally saw when he chose to come. Maybe he even saw us here in this room. We have had this wonderful opportunity because of the book to be able to go around and share our story and have others share their stories, not just with members of the church, but with the whole community. It was really fun to go back to success and, and share our story there. Um, so in closing, what we want to do is just share with you um, through pictures and slides and his artwork that where is he now? What has happened since then? And while you listen to the long run and think again about your own long runs, your long runs are going to be messy, hard, difficult, beautiful, spiritual, fun. Yes, there are some fun moments. Um, so, so worth it because your Father in Heaven is there for you. Your Savior will make up the difference. Just do what you can during those long runs, but I honestly, we, we hope and pray that you will just stay close, stay close to family, stay close to your Father in Heaven, your Savior, and use that Spirit within you. And we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Latter-day Saint Home Educators is a non-profit, all-volunteer organization dedicated to providing inspiration to homeschool families. We hope you enjoyed this recording. If you are interested in listening to more recordings or would like to participate in a future conference, please visit our website at ldshe.org.